This is the Lake Ridge Faith and Culture Podcast with our series, God Rules. Women want more rights, more access to abortion, more freedom, not less. Hell is knowing your truth and lacking the courage to live it. I don't care. I have lots of things I disagree with about the Bible. Why are we doing even a series on the Ten Commandments? The law was always meant to communicate God's character and God's truth and the reality of how God made the world. An articulation of our purpose, what it means to be human according to God's intent. Here's what happens when you balk at structure, balk at God's guidelines and boundaries that he's posted. It's not good what takes its place. So when God gives us these instructions, basically it, it, it implies you're a bunch of lying, fornicating, self-worshiping yeah. louts, you know. We shouldn't think about them as arbitrary rules, but we should think about them as God showing us the way to live fulfilling, long-lasting life in the world. We believe the enemy is after your mind and heart, and as shepherds, we're jumping into the fray. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the conversation. Well, we're back again. The usual suspects are all here together in the same room, and uh, I'd like to introduce these guys, these gaggle of false witnesses. Um, first of all, we've got Keith Lowry on my right. Exceptionally false. And uh, and Van Mentor across from me. Still the limbo champ. <laughs> and Kyle Wisdom. Can I get a witness? You can. And uh, myself, Ben Lowry, we're, we're glad to be back talking about the Ten Commandments this morning. We're, we're up to number nine. And we're, be- we're beginning to pick up a bit of a pattern as we come to the end of this God Rules series. When we started it, we decided to call it God Rules because there was a bit of a double entendre, a deliberate double entendre there. Number one, these are God's rules. And then number two, God is awesome, right? So God rules. And uh, But there's this third – can- is there such a thing as triple entendre? I've never heard of it. but Probably. Breaking um, new ground. Yeah, We've but here one. we go. Yeah, this is an inception level uh, entendre here. And and it's it's the idea that God is sovereign over the world. And this is a theme that's come up. It's really it was it was established in the beginning, but it's moved all the way through these that these commandments. God is the sovereign master of the universe. And so he's making rules that correspond to the reality that he's established and that he alone is Lord over. And so when we talk about the ninth commandment, I think it's going to be important to keep in mind that he alone is God of reality. So Kyle, go ahead and hit us with the exact verbiage of the ninth commandment. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't do it. Don't carry false witnesses in the direction of your neighbor. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, what what would you say is the most common reduction of the ninth commandment? Is kind of obvious. The most common reduction of the ninth commandment that you hear is don't per- commit perjury. Don't commit oh. perjury. Yeah, that yeah. would not be the most common. Oh, that really? I, that I've not the most no. common. No. <laughs> no, we inhabit different. Do perjury. not lie. Don't lie. Yeah, it seems like the most. <laughs> People, oh. when people do list. not <coughs> do not commit nefarious acts of intellectual property theft. Wow. That's I the was most I was keying off the word witness. Right. Well, so th- yeah, he he lives with 
intellectually robust individuals I live yeah. with. Yeah, I think you and I run people. in different circles. If that's the yeah. most common thing you hear, but but it kind of so it, it brings to surface, I think, the nuance, the necessary nuance we have to establish at the beginning. So this really is kind of a commandment about perjury. Yeah, in a yeah. sense, not just about lying. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I'd kind of like to uh, set the mood here. Mm-hmm. Does anyone here have a really great story about a lie that you told? Oh, gosh. Like for fun or to get yourself out of something? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, one comes to mind for me. Okay. So I remember my dad, who's in the room on the podcast. To my right, um, he he'd give me permission. My folks had given me permission to go to a youth group event. We were watching a movie over at someone's house, and I had a curfew. I think I was supposed to be home at ten o'clock or something like that. The movie had started late, and so we were about three quarters of the way through the movie when ten o'clock came and went. And I'm very aware of the time. Okay, very very aware of the time. The girl that I liked was also in the room sitting next to me. And so I was in no hurry. I was in no hurry at all to get out of the room to go home to meet my curfew, especially when everyone else is there. It's embarrassing. You know, you get up. And so I had all this motivation inside. The movie wasn't over yet. Wanted to see how it ended. The girl I liked was sitting next to me. And it would have been socially compromising, right, to get up at 10 o'clock and be like, sorry, guys, got to go home. Curfew. That's the way you think as a 16, 17-year-old. And so I stayed to the end of the movie. And... Cell phones had like just come out at the time, like the little Nokia, you know, that brick phone, that, that Nokia. So I remember calling my calling home. Actually, I guess I got a phone call on my way home from my dad. And he was like, where in the world are you? This was like 1045, 11 o'clock. I mean, I'm way late and I'm just now leaving this house, probably 20 minutes away from my house still. And my dad asked, okay, where... Where are you? What in the world's going on? And I said, well, you won't believe it. This, I mean, I left on time, but the traffic out here is atrocious at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> There's some accident on 635, you know, and, um, and I'm, I'm trying to get home. I'm so sorry I'm late, but I'll, I'll get there. I mean, the most bald-faced lie I think I may have ever told in my life, and I've told some whoppers. But I was zipping down the highway at about 85 miles an hour with nobody in sight when I told that lie. So I'm, I'm manipulating reality. I am playing with the fabric of reality. And I, I, my dad says, well, get home fast, you know, as fast as you can. So I'm like, whew, in the clear. You know, my lie, you know, it kind of upset my conscience, but the deed was done. Yep. I was going to get home without consequence. About five minutes goes by, and I get another call from my dad. And he says, hey. So I just got off the phone with the police department, and I asked them if there's been any major Are you accidents on 635. And um, he said, what do you think they said? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, silence. And he said, I'll be waiting up when you get home. I was toast. Like, I mean, like, there's this that moment when you, when you realize the, the lie that you were speaking into the universe had turned on you, you yep. know, and you were yep. done for. So th- that's 
that's an example of a lie. I didn't have the right. There was no. There, it was. It was in no sense morally justifiable for me to play with the fabric of reality mm-hmm. to try to twist truth in my own favor. Um, yeah. So I used to do that with my with my brothers. I was the middle child, and so my older brother and my younger brother would always um, get into arguments, get into fights. They were just sort of personality wise antithesis of each other and so i became in many situations the referee but i also became the star witness because mom and dad would ask my older brother in and get his side of the story and get my younger brother in get his side of the story and then they would invite in me last because i was the always the third person in the room and so for a while you know i was a i was a good little kid you know i i I knew i was supposed to do the right thing and then eventually i realized the situation i had for myself and so i would start going up to my brother Whichever one I, I wanted to at the time, and say, listen, they're going to call me in next. And how are you going to make it so I say something that's good for you? I think I got away <laughs> with it. I think I got away with it about two times <laughs> because I did it to one, then I did it to the other. And then they figured out what I was doing, and I was never called in <laughs> as, yeah. as so witness you after were, that. You were holding the truth as power over someone I, else's head. I was. I said, I, I have control over what people believe about this situation. What's it worth uh, to you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, my, my brother and I would do the same thing because yeah. we had we had um, we kind of both explored the realm of potty mouthdom, and mm-hmm. uh, and so if if one of us ever cussed or said something you know naughty, the other one would immediately grab hold of that. This is power, right? And so if something came up, one of us would say, "If you tell on me, I'm going to tell mom and dad that you said such and such." Yep. And that power over the truth, power over the past in the present, sort of. Uh, was I guess one way of manipulating the truth yeah. to suit your own ends. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think there's something about this commandment not to manipulate reality, not to play with reality or to to it to twist the truth to suit your own individual purposes that that lies at the heart of this commandment. It's like God wants us to understand that each of us is subject to the truth. Yeah. Not sovereign over truth, but subject to the truth. We all sit beneath the truth, and it has to act outside us and upon us. Um, it is not a plaything for us to dabble with. Yeah. And and any time we think that we've got the 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 right or even the, the power, the ability to play with the truth without consequence, we're kidding ourselves. We're playing yeah. with fire. Yeah, you know, we we often speak about in uh, Christian circles as uh, God being truthful or speaking only the truth. You know, the scriptures ask the question: Is is God like man that he should lie? Um, obviously, the expected answer being no, um, because God is the God of truth. Jesus actually says, "I am the truth," and to plumb the depths of that might be more than what this podcast can do. But there's something I think especially important with what you're saying about man, trying to manipulate reality as a person by using lies mm-hmm. is God actually manipulates ra- reality by speaking the truth, mm-hmm. that the very fabric of the universe was created by God simply speaking. Kyle, s- that's just you being really smart all of a sudden, and it shouldn't be a surprise to me, but that is a really good statement. Well, well, ju- well we talked about it a little bit beforehand, but just the idea that God isn't truthful in the same way that we're truthful, in the same that we adhere to the truth. When God speaks, reality moves and listens to him. Which is why Jesus has the audacity to say, I am the truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Not, not w- that I am true. Yeah. I am the truth. Yeah, what I say 
comes to pass is mm-hmm. is is the fabric of reality. I was watching this really cool. So to highlight this point, Kyle, which by the way I think that's spectacular. Um, that's a really great insight. But I was watching a, a documentary on uh, a subscription service that I subscribe to called <laughs> Canon Plus, and um, and this particular documentary was called Notes from the Tilt of World, and it's basically a a really creative kind of visually and and um, uh, linguistically evocative conversation uh, or monologue about the fabric of reality and what what is real and the nature of the universe and it starts with the question what is the world made of and mm-hmm. and th- this this guy works through this whole issue of what the world is made of and he says if you ask a materialist like naturalist what the world is made of they're going to tell you atoms and if you say okay what is an atom made of I'm going to tell you a nucleus, you know, a <laughs> proton, an electron. Well, what is what are protons and electrons made of? Well, they're made of up quarks and down quarks. And, you know, okay, well, what are up quarks and down quarks made of? And the answer is nothing. And and he, he, he highlighted the fact that the Christian conception of the world is that mm. the world is made of nothing. And it starts from nothing, and it came from nothing, and God is the one who spoke it, Mm. who spoke reality, spoke truth into existence. When we speak, it has to conform to what God has spoken into Mm. existence, which is reality. And so he talked about the fact that each one of us is a word spoken into existence by God. And, And that reality is something we can't play with, and yet... Our world seems to be running itself ragged, playing with the fabric of reality. So maybe we should take a second. This has been about 20 minutes of a two-sided conversation in a four-sided square um, (laughs) to (laughs) open up the dialogue here about where do we see um, our culture playing with the fabric of reality, twisting the truth to suit agendas or or ends and that's not a it's not a difficult question but i think it's worth at least bringing some things to bear here so i think it's pretty clear and obvious that just making up a flat-out lie to your story about telling your dad there was a accident and you were that's the reason you're running behind getting home right Mm -hmm. i mean that was just you just made that up there's no truth to it whatsoever there's another way that i think we can bear false witness um, against other people um, when we want uh, in some way to get people to side with us, to get people to think ill or not in a favorable light towards somebody else. Um, so uh, you hear about something happening, uh, something that was said by somebody else, and then you go and convey that to someone else the way that you convey that, you can use a tone that implies that's exactly how they said what was uh, previously said to get you to think um, about that person in a certain light. Uh, You may convey that they said it in an angry way, that they said it in a pointed way to get to, to really cause harm. But the truth is you don't, you weren't there. You don't know that, but the way you start conveying that to someone else you are starting to bear, I think, false witness because for whatever reason, and, and so 
whoever the individual is that is doing the conveying here will have to give an account for why they are saying it the way they're saying it. I'm, I, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is sometimes we don't like to admit this, but um, we do this kind of stuff because we want to form an opinion about a situation that we ourselves don't fully have firsthand knowledge of, but maybe based on a past experience with these individuals, mm-hmm. we draw hard, fast conclusions about it. And I'm reminded of James' words where he says, look, it's better, I think, that you just be quick to listen and slow to talk about stuff hmm. um, and, and not be so quick to get angry because uh, we want to draw hard, fast conclusions about situations or individuals. And that doesn't appeal to us very often because we want to just get to the root of it or at least what we think is the root of it. And so we start passing along comments to other people um, to bring them into the conversation. And I just uh, – when I see a, a, a command like this, I'm reminded it's better to take all the time needed to make sure you're right in what you're about to tell somebody else about an individual or a situation because you might be guilty yourself of bearing false witness based on how you start communicating to other people. So be careful. Watch your words. Yeah, I, I, I would Watch even say, tongue. Van, that there's a slippery slope in leadership. I've, I've noticed this because we sometimes in leadership you do have to have conversations about – Whatever may be going on in your realm of influence, and it's it's right. it's it's a slippery slope because we can start to do what you're saying and want to skew other people's perception yeah. in the room against somebody who we may view as an opponent or something, right. you know. Right, and so right. we'll mm-hmm. we'll hint that something may be true about somebody that we'd like for other people to think also. Right. When mm-hmm. we don't really have a foundation of truth or fact. To, to, to base that on. We uh, right. just want to skew the discussion. Uh, I think there's that, but I also think there's this phenomenon where um, we have, we're inclined to say things that we think are true that we don't really know are true. Exactly. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example mm. of this. Uh, so I've had the opportunity uh, to testify a lot in depositions and in open court, uh, mostly as an expert witness, sometimes as a fact witness related to intellectual property stuff I've done. Anyway, when you sit in depositions or you're anticipating being cross-examined in court, one of the first things you realize is you're supposed to recount your understanding of some event or some facts that you may have. The first thing you realize, if you're serious about not committing perjury, is you realize, hey, wait a minute, do I actually know this or am I filling in a gap in my knowledge? to complete, kind of make the narrative right. kind of fit together. Right. And so I I had to learn that there's a lot of humility that goes into this question of speaking about someone else or some set mm-hmm. of events, because you need to be very careful to draw distinctions between what you know and the gaps that you're filling in just to make the, the two things you do know fit together in some way. Mm-hmm. It, there, there's gaps in our knowledge, and we have to be really careful about that. The other thing I was going to say... Um, in this regard is that, um, or maybe it's really a question about the commandment, is it, is it really addressing the, the question of speaking truthfully generally, or is it addressing the question of speaking untruthfully in ways that disadvantage another person? Yeah. Uh, what is this against your neighbor? I, I'm asking, I mean, that's not even a rhetorical question. I'm asking because I think we're living in a time in which there's a lot of pressure to speak untruthfully about people 
Hmm. Um, in ways that those people would like us to speak untruthfully about them. Mm-hmm. And that may sound bizarre, but I'm really thinking specifically right now about the whole question of pronouns and the transgender mm-hmm. movement, mm-hmm. right? So there's this pressure on Maybe. people to speak pronouns that are manifestly false in regard to other people. Uh, is that bearing false witness? Maybe mm-hmm. maybe there's, um, whenever Jesus talked about the neighbor, uh, a legal expert would pipe up and say, "Who then is my neighbor?" <laughs> um, and so maybe, maybe that could happen at some point. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's worth asking, "Who is my neighbor?" In the within the context of, do not bear false witness against him. Yeah. Um, I think the Ten Commandments are about preserving a just society. We've talked about this, yeah. so. So if I if we all sit beneath or underneath the authority of the truth, yeah. and then I claim to have the power, the ability to twist that truth to suit my ends over and against somebody else's, then then suddenly there's like we're not playing by the same rules. So I'm using some kind of a cheat code, right? Yeah. Um, and so I've I have an unjust advantage over somebody to to, to suit my own ends. And so, but the, we have biblical cases where people didn't speak the truth and god blessed them for that you know we were talking about this beforehand we got rahab for instance who concealed um the fact that there were spies in her home uh in jericho to save their lives uh from her fellow jerichoans um and and then we've also got the hebrew midwives in exodus who concealed the fact from pharaoh that there were babies being born and 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 you know so that pharaoh wouldn't kill them and so god blessed them for that and rahab was added to the family and she gave birth to boaz who became the husband of ruth and so we see that there are times in which someone doesn't operate in the truth does sort of tweak the truth so to speak yeah um but and god blesses them so what are we what are we dealing with here when it comes to bearing false witness so so i think it's important to see that the several of the commands are specific, but that does not remove their um, their overall point that may be going on. So, for instance, d- don't commit adultery. A lot of people will quote that verse to say, like, don't have uh, premarital sex. That's not what it says. It's talking about adultery, meaning that you have two people who are married and you're having, you know, you're you're, you're having a sexual relationship outside that marriage. It doesn't mean that command is not also about. Of, fornication of, of, of fornication right so uh but it's specifically about this very high stakes uh culture shaping st- uh, society structure situation i think the same thing is true about this command jesus uh god is saying when you are in the moment when the telling of the truth is most at high stakes when you are in a court bringing before a judge the the situation that you know about your neighbor in which what you say may dictate whether this person is thrown in jail, whether they are imprisoned, whether their property is taken away from them. What you say could change everything about this person's life. In that moment, above all moments, do not speak a lie that will destroy your neighbor. And so I think it's a specific situation being targeted by the command that has implications down, down from there to, obviously, truthfulness in general. Hmm. So you talk about tweaking <clears> – <throat> In this uh, instances you cited from scripture, I think we might look at that and call that obeying a higher law <laughs> in the moment. Um, I know a, a German grandmother in Rockwall 
that um, remember standing by her mom's side in Germany when the um, Nazi soldiers came to the door and asked if they were hiding Jews, and her mom clearly saying, no, we're not, and they were, you know, in order to save the lives of those Jewish people that were in their home. So um, I don't think you, you, you use that argument loosely, you know, um, to, to adultery, like, well, I had to sleep with somebody else just to, you know, protect somebody's feelings. I, I don't think that flies in every situation. Well, but. well, I think to the point being raised, we've brought up the idea of pronouns and, and transgen- transgenderism and this idea that there are people who are advocating along the lines of, as you mentioned, Ben, the midwives and, and Rahab. There are times when it seems God honors people who do not speak the bald-faced truth about a situation. Um and so the argument goes, well, we've to got— To protect someone. To protect someone, right? Um, specifically to keep someone safe. Um, so is it a one-to-one comparison, an apples-to-apples comparison? Right. Uh, this is where we're headed here with this question. Yeah. To say, to, 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 to tell a boy, to affirm a that um, to a boy that he is actually a girl, if that's what he wants me to affirm. Right. Right, that, Be- that, that Sam is actually Susan. Right, because the argument would go, well— because of the statistically high likelihood that this person who is identifying as transgender would ultimately commit suicide if they are not affirmed. Right. Right. And so this is what parents are being told. They're like, listen, if you don't affirm this child's transgender identity, they they might commit suicide. Right. And so, so in order to keep this kid alive, you've got to play into this. When we were in our um, conversation about thieving, about stealing, you, you shall not steal – we quoted from Calvin who said that to steal was more than just to take the property of someone else it doesn't belong to you. It was actually a crime against God hmm. who is sovereign and allots one's possessions to him. And so you're, you're, you're sinning against God's allotment, God's allotting of things to people. You're, you're basically a crime against God's sovereignty. Something may also be going on in that realm hmm. here with lying about um, – gender preference, right, or gender identity, as opposed to lying to protect the Israelite spies or lying to protect these innocent babies. And, and, And here's the difference. God has set certain things in stone in reality, male and female being one of them. And we see this all the way back to Genesis. A hundred years from now, if they dig up our bones, they... They may not know much about us. They may not know much about the class that we, um, you know, lived our lives within, whether we were rich or poor, any of those things, but they will be able to tell that we were either male or female. It is so uh, integral to our identity, the male or female paradigm dichotomy, um, that you can't get away from it even after death. It's, it's apparent. When we take upon ourselves the authority to be able to play and tweak with reality that God has written into stone, something like male and female, then the question has to be asked, there's probably two questions that have to be asked. One is, whose side are we on? Hmm. Should we take the side of God and not bear false witness against him by affirming a lie that someone asked me to affirm? Or should I take the side of this person who's asking me to affirm the lie. God isn't lying about male and female. They're lying about what they are. And and we know that because we have to take their word against God's if if we're going to affirm what they say, right? So, so then the question becomes, is it true that to affirm that lie 
is to hurry them along the path to suicide. Right. Is, is that true? Mm. Um, and so those are, those are two questions. And the answer, and to me, the answer to the first is, you take the side of God when it comes to reality. That just seems like kind of a, a right. no-brainer. You, you, you don't bear false witness against God in the debates of our time. So if, if reality is, is in the docks here in a courtroom drama, then we have to take the side of reality. Right. Um, and, and reality is on trial here in the male-female transgender paradigm question. Yeah. So we take the side of God. On the other hand, on the side of, well, isn't it kind and nice to not hurry someone along the path of suicide by just, you know, maybe use the name that they want you to or use the pronoun that they ask you to because that's kinder or nicer than, than not doing that. And they might kill themselves. Like, when we hear this argument. Yeah. It's actually, there's really no statistical evidence to suggest that that's true. Many people have highlighted this. And this is not unique to this podcast. You can hear this from a thousand different places. The most egalitarian societies on the planet, um, where there is wholesale acceptance of the LGBTQIA plus agenda, right? The suicide rates are identical yeah. in those societies to those in our societies, because there's a mental disorder at work here. There's, there's a... Um, there's a disordered perception of oneself. There is a lie that is producing what lies produce, which is death. Right. And so it's kinder, I would argue, for the Christian to bear witness to the truth, to plant a pea under the mattress of that person's perception of themselves, the lie that they've built up for themselves, to keep them actually from the path of suicide. Right. I, I think one of the sort of defining characteristics of virtue is that it's costly to the individual. Hmm. Uh, there's this great story about King David um, wanting to store the, the Ark of the Covenant at a guy's house, and, and uh, this guy was going to set up a whole, you know, he was going to support it and set up a place to worship and all this stuff. And David said, far be it from me to have someone else bear the cost of my Mm -hmm. of, of my obligation. And so you see this today. There's lots of virtue signaling from taking right, you know, and I'm putting quotes, right positions on things where the cost of that virtue is borne by someone else. One of the interesting things about Rahab and the, and the midwives that you talked about is that in telling the lie, they were putting themselves at risk. The outcome at that point was unknown. Um, and certainly the good outcome that followed the birth of Moses was a long ways away for those midwives who may not have even been alive to see it. And so the, everyone was taking risks for a good thing by telling the lie in both Rahab's case and in the midwife's case. I think, though, that it's just the opposite with pronoun use because the social pressure to speak falsely with names and pronouns on this question is a self-preservation, not a self-risk, but a, a self-preservation mm. uh, pressure because people are trying to retain their job or they're trying to retain their social standing or they're trying to retain, trying to avoid socially awkward conversations or, I mean, there's a million different reasons that the pressure is on to speak falsely. But the virtuous position, the, this, the position that actually costs you something in that entire discussion is to speak the truth. Hmm, yeah. Not the opposite. I would say another distinction would be that 
Um, and it goes back to my illustration from my childhood. So what I was doing with my brothers and with my parents was holding the truth at ransom in order to get um, a, 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 a disobedient outcome. And so I think there are situations when people hold the truth at ransom in order to facilitate sin. And I think the situations we have with Rahab and with the midwives are the exact opposite. Someone is with someone is uh, holding the truth at ransom in order that they would sin. They're saying, listen, you need to tell us whether or not you're sinning because if you tell us you're not sinning, we're going to kill you. And they're saying, I'm going to lie so that I can continue to obey. Right? And so the, the, the goal being more obedience, more doing what God wants us to do in the situation we have with pronouns is – we want you to lie so that we can continue in sin. Yeah, this I think is, there's a pretty deep discrepancy there. Yeah, <clears throat> it's. I, I I think we're treading on pretty thin ice um, when we start talking about the context within which it's it's a good idea to lie. Um, j- yeah. We and, and I agree with everything that's been said. Yeah. So, to, yeah, to, yeah, to this point, yeah, yeah. I just think it's worth saying out yes. loud. <laughs> Don't presume at any moment that it's obvious on its face that this is a good oper- this is a good occasion, a justified occasion to lie. <laughs> because yeah. those people have the power. If I tell the truth to do something harmful to me, and so I'm not going to give them that opportunity or something. You know, so right. because maybe right. like if the police show up and you've done something criminal, like you don't get to say, Well, if I give them the truth, then my kids will suffer. Right. Yeah. yeah fair. You know, so like we've got to be really careful w- when it comes to the truth. And this is a very complex issue. And sometimes it's a whole lot less complex. Like when the Nazis show up and they're knocking on your door, are, are you hiding yeah. Jews? Well, the answer is no. Right. Well, no, I'm not. It kind of goes it kind of goes along with like you can't you can't justify everything by pointing to Hitler. You also can't justify everything by pointing to the Nazis knocking at your door. Right. <laughs> at the end of the day, there are very small circumstances right. when you do that. And this is why I keep coming back to this question of does does the, do the words you're saying advantage you in some way? Hmm. Are they are they designed to Well, I, I but even that I think is too general. Well, because like you I I'm just thinking about the specific examples we're talking about. Um, advantage you in what way because I could say it like let's say my family were Jews. Right. Then it is to my advantage to lie to the Nazis in some sense. So we've got right. those generalities. I, I guess are even even those can be corrupted. Yeah, I guess sure, is my fear for sure, for sure. Um, although um, in the examples, uh, I don't think it's corrupt. But no. um, but I also think you know one of the I, things I think that we we miss sometimes is that um, this focus that we have on. Um, as a culture, a broader societal focus on uh, making sure everybody feels good about themselves is um, really it suggests that uh, it's it's loving to let people do self destructive things, hmm. and so there at one level, you know what you were what you were talking about with Rahab and with. Um, the midwives in particular, is they were preventing people from sinning by their lies in their particular case. They were keeping murder from taking place mm-hmm. yeah. um, and keeping, and, and in, react, in reality, it was a compassionate thing for them to do for those 
people who were looking for children because they were preventing some of them from murdering and bearing the guilt of their own sin in that context you know so it's it's you're right it's not it's not a a simple thing to sort through and even um it's it's not even simple to say oh we should just let evil people we should not deceive evil people because so, yeah. they're going to commit evil. Yeah, you know. I, yeah, I mean, our governments are evil at some right. at some level, and yet right. they have an, they have a right to have the truth. Right. You know, if we can't just keep truth from people who are evil, right? You know, exactly. all, the, all the time. Yeah, because it's worth pointing out that the two situations, and by the way, in all the descriptions of the scriptures about telling the truth, we're we're narrowing in to just to be fair on two very specific examples that are the exceptions that prove the rule that are involved in situations of espionage, war, and genocide. So, like, sure. the bar is exceedingly high. Yeah, right. In the, in that right. regard, to your point, man. right? Now, I so. Um, I, I think we've we we I'm trying to gather my thoughts here. There's a meme I'm, I want to read, but I want to set this up in light of the conversation that we've just had because uh, it has bearing on on where we're headed and how Christians live within a society like this. How can we mm-hmm. honor Jesus within a society that's forcing the lie on everyone as yeah. an act of virtue? Yeah. Um, and so this is, I'll just read the meme and we can play with this as, as we want. So this, actually my dad sent this to my brother and I not long ago. And it's a conversation between a secular person and a Christian. All right. So the secular person says, I want to do X. Christian says, you're free to do it. Secular person, but you think X is wrong. Christian, yes. Secular person, because you want to control me. Christian, no, you're free to do whatever you wish. Secular person, but you think X is wrong. Christian, yes, but only because I want what's best for you. Secular person, but I want to do X. Christian, (laughs) you're free to do it. Secular person, but I want you to say that X is good. Christian, I can't say that. Secular person, why are you such a hateful, intolerant bigot? (laughs) That's, that is in kind of a human, great, just threw my phone on the floor. That is, that is, in kind of a, a tiny microcosm, the way that so many of our conversations are playing out and in ways that actually have some risk and cost involved. Yes. There are corporate settings in which we will be asked to affirm lies. And again, if God is sovereign over reality, then to bear false witness against reality is to bear false witness against God um, when reality is on trial, right? Yeah. So we will be forced to bear witness to the truth in just the same way that Jesus was. And there's real cost in bearing witness to the truth. So Jesus was standing before Pilate. And Jesus says to Pilate, the reason I came was to bear witness to the truth. That's his purpose. And then Pilate's response to this is, what is truth? Christians bear witness to the truth in a world that's lost its concept of truth, and the consequence is very often crucifixion. We ha- we have multiple people, multiple men that I know of in our church who work for companies today, who are on the verge of having to decide whether they can keep their job or speak the truth. Hmm. They can't do both, right? Yeah. And this is the this is the world we live in, and so this is a non um, theoretical discussion and, yeah. and and so then let's talk about um 
let's put some flesh on the bones of the conversation. Well, what if it's bad for that man's family yeah. that he loses job? Yeah. Well, what do you mean bad? It, well, well, that they physic they might physically suffer. That's that's exactly. And that's do we exactly presuppose that that's bad? And so and so, listen, right? That well, so we can go there. That's the conversation we need to have. You're jumping the shark right. here a <laughs> little bit. Um, but but if we if we say it's okay to lie in order to present the suffering of innocent people, right? Yeah. Then yeah. then 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 we're led down the path of being uh, sort of thinking well it's okay then therefore to affirm a lie in order to yeah. pre- prevent the suffering of myself and my family yeah. mm-hmm. and then you're just basic pragmatic eth- ethics just whatever prevents suffering in general is Wh- yeah right which is why i i go back to god's rules okay the title of our podcast series god rules if god has set forth that something is true when people play with the fabric of reality on something as essential as male and female, as something even as biologically essential as male and female, not theological, but just biologically essential and obvious yeah. as male and female, pervasive as male and female, then we're, we're to, to buy a lie on that is, I think, the height of audacity hmm. and recklessness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Jordan Peterson, um, I think I was telling you the other day, he uh, because he wouldn't affirm Ellen Page by the name she wants to be called. Yeah, Elmer um, Elmer Page is that Elliot? What? Oh, okay. Well, I thought it was Elmer. Elmer. To that effect. Anyway, I'm, I'm surprised she didn't go with Elmer. The way the article read was that um, YouTube had pulled any funding. I guess he was getting maybe any uh, revenue. Yeah, they demonetized. 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 There yeah. you go. I found it interesting. Root word demon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Found found it interesting that uh, you know there was still an uproar even after that had taken place by YouTube uh, that the videos were still up, and so there, I don't know in, in this conversation about truth just being truth, the fact that they for whatever reason felt compelled to leave his videos up even though there's this huge backlash. Why are you still allowing the video to be played? That they see some kind of benefit with the okay we demonetize but we we're going to let it still air. Mm-hmm. For anybody who wants to search for it, um, not that they are necessarily in agreement with what he's saying, but um, I guess my point is, I don't know if I'm if if I'm making it all that well, but truth will stand no matter what, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So get upset all you want, demonetize this, but it's still going to stand, and somehow you, even though you don't agree, still see a value in allowing his videos right. to still be present. Yeah, Correct? you see yeah. what I'm saying? Right, right. So, and- well, Jordan Peterson is, uh, he's kind of peculiar in, in this way. He's become a lightning rod in the culture. Mm-hmm. Right. And and it's interesting to me that he's become a lightning rod specifically on the heels of a decision that he made about seven years ago or so. He made a decision about seven years ago or so that he was only ever going to speak what he knew to be true. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that he's morally perfect when it comes to mm-hmm. bearing witness. No. like. He, he he probably is still tempted to deceive. He's probably still tempted to manipulate. He's going to be doing those things. But he made a conscious decision to to do everything within his power to only to align the truth with what he wants and speaks publicly. Yeah. And and he talks about the the radical transformation that that brought about in his own personal life and just how terribly difficult it was for him 
to put even little lies aside, the little deceptions that we even allow ourselves to um, entertain within our spirits, yeah. but to only speak the truth. And so mm. he made that decision about seven to ten years ago, and then his life began to take on the form of someone of very great persecution um, in the outside world because he was speaking truths that were very unfortunate, mm. well, and unwanted. To your, and to your point, Ben, we have to answer this sort of concrete question that a lot of families, I think increasingly more families will have to answer, is should I lose my job for the truth and my family suffer for it? I think we have an interesting analog in the early church's persecution surrounding the cult of the of the Caesar. So the kind of one of the earliest persecution methods for Christians was they would be brought into the town square like all people at that time in Roman culture, and they were asked to swear allegiance to Caesar. Swearing allegiance to Caesar included making a sacrifice to him as a deity um, or something akin to a deity at the very least. And uh, Christians had to wrestle with this in the earliest periods, and, and what they kind of came to the conclusion of um, and there was lots of debates amongst the fathers at that time about this, but the conclusion was don't rush to go make a stand in the city square. You know, don't go run up there and go, Caesar's not Lord, you know, and get your, and get yourself, you know, killed or your family ostracized or whatever. But if they drag you to the square, do not sacrifice to Caesar. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we're going to run into is, is, is the delicate balance there in our culture of going, listen, don't, don't lose your job. Don't run to martyrdom. Don't make don't don't make this something that you're going to grandstand about for the sake of going. Well, I've got to jump in there, and you know you have to be wise. Mm-hmm. But if they drag you into the square, do not sacrifice to Caesar. I um yeah, kind of gonna be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves as you navigate yeah. these yeah. complexities. Never compromising, but be wise in how you go about it. Don't give any information that you don't have to give. Or, yeah. I, and I think the the hard part about the the transgender issue is going to be because it's lots of tiny little giveaways. It's lots of tiny little choices like, hey, can you put your preferred pronouns on your emails? Which for someone may go, well, uh, I mean, I, I could say what's true about me. But is that then playing into, yeah. you know, the, the set of ideas that we don't want to? So I've been fascinated for a little while with the slow death and collapse of western civilization <clears throat> and um and so i've been reading i've been just sort of a glutton for 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 different things to read that kind of will offer words of wisdom and helping us understand our times helping us to understand the kind of world we're living in and i think one of the best ways to do that is to try to try to listen to voices from the past mm. and some of the more interesting and um Intriguing voices of the past tended to be novelists who wrote dystopian novels about the future because we now occupy the world that they were writing about in the mm. 1930s and 40s. And so I read books like Brave New World, Aldous Huxley, and um, 1984 by George Orwell. Some people argue about whether we're in more of a Brave New World or whether we're more in a 1984 kind of world, but I, I think we're probably in something like a Huxwellian world today. <laughs> they they both got some things very, very right, astonishingly right. Okay, so I want I want to read just for a second a couple of quotes, a couple of passages from 1984, um, because I I think what we're going to see is the kind of culture that we're living in is exactly the kind of culture that Orwell thought of 
and wrote about, and he thought there's nothing, nothing in the world more toxic or poisonous to liberty and freedom and human nobility and truth than a world like 1984. Okay? Mm-hmm. So l- l- let, me, let me read you some of these things, and then we'll try to engage in a conversation about this along the lines of bearing false witness. So, so what he writes this, he says, And if all others accepted the lie which the party imposed, okay, the party being, all, being capitalized party, so the, the, the ruling people, the ruling class, if all others accepted the lie which the party imposed, if all records told the same tale, then the lie passed into history and became truth. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. And so truth, truth itself becomes an issue of who has the power to tell it, who has the power to manipulate it. So you go on in keeping with that spirit. There's this passage, a little bit, just a little bit longer. It's a paragraph than the last one. It says, to make sure that all written records agree with the orthodoxy of the moment is merely a mechanical act. I want you to think about what Google and Twitter and Facebook are doing with Ellen versus Elmer Page or Elliot Page, right? If you Googled Ellen Page today, it would present a page of facts about Elliot Page. And Wikipedia is the same thing. They are working around the clock to try to eliminate from the record book any person by the name of Ellen Page. All right? And so, to make sure that all written records agree with the orthodoxy of the moment is merely a mechanical act. It's a technological act. But it is also necessary to remember that events happened in the desired manner. To actually play games with your own mind, he's saying. And if it is necessary to rearrange one's memories or to tamper with written records, then it is necessary to forget that one has done so. The trick of doing this can be learned, like any other mental technique. It is learned by the majority of party members, and certainly by all who are intelligent as well as orthodox. In old speak, it is called, quite frankly, reality control. In new speak, it is called doublethink, although doublethink comprises much else besides. Hmm. We are living that reality out in real time. We're seeing it happen in real time. And so the past is an interesting thing. The past has authority over the present in some sense. But if you can control the past and manipulate it, then you gain power and authority over the past and over what's true. Yeah. This is why Solzhenitsyn, in part, wrote the Gulag Archipelago. He, you know, living in the midst of a totalitarian society, it was important, and he kind of intuited how important it was to document the 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 reality of what was happening for the benefit of people who came after him, um, because he knew that they they would all be airbrushed, right? The mm-hmm. the the reality of the past would be airbrushed. And he, he actually said this, the simple step of a courageous individual is not to take part in the lie. Mm. One word of truth outweighs the whole world. Mm. Uh, and this is a guy who had just lived in this immersive culture of falsehood. Um, and related to that uh, is a, one of my favorite quotes from Theodore Dalrymple. If you don't know he writes under the name of Theodore Dalrymple. His name's actually Anthony Daniels. He mm-hmm. may be one of the finest essayists of our generation. But he said— Who, Whose generation? Of uh, Our generation. My generation. <laughs> the generation of all of us? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll just say my generation. Um, 
he says this. He says, um, I came to the conclusion that the purpose of communist propaganda was not to persuade or convince, not to inform, but to humiliate. Hmm. And therefore, the less it corresponded to reality, the better. When people are forced to remain silent when they are being told the most obvious lies, or even worse, when they are forced to repeat the lies themselves, they lose once and for all their sense of probity. Probity is this moral sense of moral standing and mm-hmm. uprightness. Uh, so it humiliates away their sense of morality. To assent to obvious lies is in some small way to become evil oneself. One standing to resist anything is thus eroded and even destroyed. A society of emasculated liars is easy to control. So let me read in the heels of this a couple of things that Orwell wrote um, on this exact question. He, he wrestled with, the main character in the story, Winston, wrestles with uh, the, the question of whether being in the minority, even a minority of one, means that you're mad. Like when the whole world is saying one truth and you find yourself being the only person in the world thinking something different, the temptation is to sort of believe, well, maybe I'm the one that's gone crazy. Maybe I'm the one that's in the wrong. And he, he writes this, he says, being in a minority, even in a, in a minority of one, he learns, did not make you mad. There was truth and there was untruth. And if you clung to the truth, even against the whole world, you were not mad. And you could share in a bright future if you kept alive the mind as they attempted to keep alive the body and passed on the secret doctrine that two plus two make four. Yep. Simple truth. That's so why Paul said, we're out of our minds, it's for your sake. You, know? mm, you can call yeah. us crazy all day, but it's for your sake that we preach this gospel. Right. You know? Yeah, and so the, the question being brought up about this, this father, this husband in this situation, I think there's something more important than a paycheck he brings home to his kids. And his conviction. It's the ability to stand on truth. I, I, and I think that has to be one of the most essential things we realize about our responsibility as men in particular is we must be those who stand upon conviction, upon truth. And if we can pass that on to our children, you know, the scriptures say a lot about the requirement of a husband and a father to pass on protection and provision and all these things that God entrusts to the the leader of a household. But there's something even more fundamental, and it's being able to pass on the faith. Mm -hmm. And if you can't pass on conviction Mm -hmm. or a belief in the truth against all odds, then I don't know how you do that. I think— Kyle, you're on to something about conviction, and I think maybe the opposite of conviction might be compromise. Mm. I was reading um, Ellie Weissel's Night, so I read that book yeah. recently, and Ellie Weissel wrote this classic. He won a Nobel Prize for, for this book um, because it's, it's the true story, his own experience in Auschwitz and the concentration camps of, of uh, Nazi Germany. And um, it's, it's a short little book. I recommend it. Um, you know, I, I recommend it to it's, certain people for certain times and certain reasons. It's, it's a hard. very, very hard book. It's to a hard read, book. Yeah. But, and, uh, you know, I was reading that within the milieu of Brave New World in 1984 and some of the other books I was reading and, and sort of seeing a, a true to life version of a totalitarian government that, totalitarian government that comes in and, and, and wreaks havoc. And it stood out to me that in the early stages of, um, the German invasion into into his area, Transylvania is where he lived. 
the Germans came in and they started small. They started with small requests. Hey, um, y'all, y'all move over here. Hey, give us, give us your gold. Just, just give us your gold. We'll leave you alone. Right. And, and so little by little, the small asks snowballed and everyone in the community kind of believed that it's, it's best not to don't look for trouble, right? Just, Mm. just do what the Germans ask. Just do what the Germans ask. Just do what they're asking. Don't revolt. Don't rise up. Don't. And they ended up in cattle cars shipped across the country and put into ovens. There, I don't. I, I think it is naive for Christians today to think that there's such a thing as satisfying the devil's hunger for the death of God's people. Um, there is no satisfying that. There's only defeating it. And how Christians go about defeating that today is in not being willing to compromise on the truth. To say, I'm not going to compromise on the simple things. It's a pronoun. It's just a pronoun. All of reality is a word. Reality is a pronoun. And if you, and if you lie about the pronoun, then you've compromised reality. And that is playing fiddle with the devil. And it's a serious thing. This has been another Faith and Culture Conversation, a ministry of Lake Ridge Bible Church. You can join the conversation by emailing us at faithandculture at lakeridge.org. Special thanks to Jeremy Wilkerson for producing. <laughs>